For the American College of Gastroenterology, this is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Phil Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing the use of aspirin to reduce the risk of colon cancer in Lynch syndrome patients. With us to discuss this is our Associate Editor, Dr. Swati Patel, Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Colorado Anschutz School of Medicine. And we'll be discussing her summary in the December 2023 issue of EBGI. This is part of our In Case You Missed It series. And Dr. Patel reviews the landmark CAP2 study, which was originally published in Lancet in 2020. So welcome back, Dr. Patel. And as always, we start by discussing why it's important for our listeners to understand the potential benefit of aspirin in Lynch syndrome patients. Thanks so much for for having me, Dr. Schoenfeld. Lynch syndrome is common. It affects up to one in 279 individuals in the general population, and it's caused by a pathogenic variant in one of the mismatch repair genes or the EPCAM gene, which lives upstream of MSH2. It's associated with a significantly increased risk of colorectal cancer with some patients expected to have a 61% lifetime risk. And it's really important that we identify these individuals, as we've discussed in previous summaries, through thorough hereditary risk assessment, including multi-generation cancer family history for all patients diagnosed with colon cancer, as well as universal tumor screening of all colorectal cancers, which can screen for Lynch syndrome. Although regular High-quality colonoscopy and polypectomy are cornerstones for colorectal cancer prevention in Lynch. Unfortunately, post-colonoscopy colorectal cancers occur. This might be because of an accelerated carcinogenesis pathway that occurs with defective mismatch repair or potential progression to colorectal cancer through non-polypoid pathways that can't be detected via colonoscopy. Because of this, adjuncts to colonoscopy, like chemoprophylaxis or dietary interventions, are needed to reduce the risk of colorectal cancer in this common high-risk condition. And, you know, we certainly understand that regular aspirin use is associated with a decreased risk of colon cancer and adenomas in average risk individuals. That's based on well-designed observational trials and was even demonstrated in, in a huge RCT, the Women's Health Study. And we think aspirin is beneficial because it disrupts the inflammatory microenvironment and disrupts COX-mediated inflammatory pathways, and that may impact the carcinogenous pathway. But, you know, as we've discussed before, we don't routinely recommend aspirin in the average risk population because there's a risk of GI bleeding, too. What do we know about the impact of aspirin in the much higher risk Lynch syndrome patients? Yeah, it's exactly that observation in the general population that motivated the investigators to look at aspirin in the CAP2 study for Lynch syndrome patients. So this study really began back in 1999 and invited patients with Lynch syndrome. And the patients included were MLH1, MSH2, and MSH6 patients who were then randomized to either aspirin or placebo for two years. And what they really, this publication in 2020 showed is the 10-year follow-up of uh, the individuals in these two arms that received either aspirin or placebo for two years. And the real importance of this study is that it, there really was very reliable long-term follow-up that was published just based on this intervention that occurred over a two-year period. 
I think previous studies have shown that once you start taking aspirin, that the benefit for reducing colorectal cancer risk is delayed. It might take anywhere from three to five to 10 years before you can actually demonstrate it. And so to briefly review the CAP2 study, you know, this was a study in total of 937 eligible patients, although 861 were ultimately randomized. And they were randomized back in 1999 to take high doses of aspirin, 600 milligrams a day versus placebo. And they did that for two years. And as you said, then they were followed for 10 years, although a portion of the population was even followed for up to 20 years. And they found that there was a significant reduction in time to first diagnosis of colon cancer in these patients that were treated with aspirin. The hazard ratio was 0.65, which equates to saying there's a 35% reduction in the risk of developing colon cancer. I think you phrased it very nicely in your summary by saying, for every 24 patients with Lynch syndrome who get aspirin, you'll prevent one colon cancer. Interestingly, there was no significant difference in GI bleeding between the two groups. It was 2.6% in the high-dose aspirin group and 2.1% in the placebo group. And so the concern about adverse events with aspirin didn't bear out, at least in this trial. So I think the big question becomes, you know, when a patient comes in with Lynch syndrome, how do you advise them about the potential benefits of aspirin? I discuss aspirin based on this randomized control trial. Every single Lynch patient I see, unless there's an allergy or contraindication, I recommend that average adults who are 60 kilos or more start with a regular strength aspirin, which here in the United States is 325 milligrams, and to monitor for the, the side effects or adverse effects that we know aspirin can be associated with. So things like dyspepsia, abdominal pain to kind of give us a clinical heads up about possible peptic ulcer disease, any bleeding issues. I also test and eradicate H. pylori in all patients that have Lynch syndrome to minimize their peptic ulcer risk, as well as the sort of carcinogenic contribution that H. pylori infection can have on gastric cancer development. And then for those patients who are unable to tolerate that full-dose aspirin of 325 milligrams, you know, we certainly think through whether we can co-manage the, the side effects. But if that's not the case, you know, with the use of proton pump inhibitors or eradication of H. pylori, I at least encourage them to do a trial of a lower dose of aspirin, 81 milligrams. And some patients can can tolerate the lower dose and take it once a day. Some patients do a trial of taking it twice a day. But the message really to my patients is that aspirin is likely protective and that any aspirin is likely better better than no aspirin. And so we balance that and personalize it based on their ability to tolerate it. What I will also kind of emphasize to them is that this study really remarkably showed that there's a long-term protective benefit. And the reality is that, you know, you can see this in the figure that we shared in the summary, that for patients, you know, that take aspirin, you know, and we're part of this trial, the risk does not start to split off until after five years. So it's a delayed 
benefit, but it's one that persists for, you know, 10 in some, you know, parts of the study and patient population, even 20 years. So, you know, for patients that can tolerate the aspirin, I advise them to stay on it as long as they're not having any adverse effects and that they will expect to benefit from being on aspirin after just two years of use in the longer term. For patients who have, you know, comorbidities or on blood thinners or those that are, you know, aging, I, I have really a regular discussion with them, usually on an annual basis or when I see them for their colonoscopies, to continue to weigh, you know, the risk versus benefit of aspirin. And as sort of uh, the the clinical picture for a particular patient changes, they get started on blood thinners for an, you know some other indication, or they're getting older or more frail and have a higher fall risk. Then we do kind of reassess that risk benefit, and I can reassure them that even if they're stopping aspirin in their 60s or 70s, they will likely confer an additional 10 years of cancer protective benefit. I also explained to, to patients that that 600 milligram dose that was used in the original trial is a very high dose. And even though, as you mentioned, there, there wasn't a significant difference in adverse events between placebo and the intervention arm, 600 milligrams, you know, is a quite high dose. And as I mentioned, not the dose that I recommend, but I let patients know that, you know, the, the dose, exact dose um, that we recommend is still under study. That the good news is the CAP investigators recognized this and uh, promptly planned the CAP-3 trial, which actually completed recruitment in 2019. And that study is comparing 100 versus 300 versus 600 milligrams. And so with you know recruitment having completed in 2019, we will have the answer to which dose is the best dose in the next few years with five-year outcome data likely being available next year. So I just let my patients know that they should expect me to update them on whether that dose that they're currently on should be adjusted based on the results of that trial. You know, there are so many good educational points related to this study. Thanks again for joining me today. Please remember to subscribe to Evidence-Based GI on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at ACG underscore EBGI where we host tutorials every Wednesday and look for our blast email from the ACG on December 13th with our new issue, where you can find Dr. Patel's summary, which provides much more detailed data about this landmark CAP2 study.